Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We are meeting with Jordan J. Scavone this evening. We're going to have a great time listening to his story. He has got a wonderful tale of uh, uh, fantasy and and uh, imagination, and and there's some sword play. So if if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're going to love this book. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks for being here. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Um, I know, especially after I just missed the last time we tried to do it. <laughs> well, we're making up for it now. Yeah, toddler so, life. Yeah, I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you. Uh, Jordan Scavone created his first picture book at about six years old. This first book, written... Well, okay, drawn and stenciled, was titled The Animals Look for Food. It was about, well, as you might imagine, animals looking for food. Uh, Though not the most well-thought-out or well-written book of all time, this did plant seeds for Jordan's writing future. After receiving his undergraduate degree in children's literature, and theater for the young from Eastern Michigan University, Jordan began working on his first picture book. He received his MA in children's literature from EMU, and he currently lives in Michigan with his wife, Chelsea, his toddler son, and cat. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for taking time out of your crazy teaching and dadding schedule. I'm really pleased to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, it's always nice to talk with you and, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, plus I always know that things that you put out are gonna actually get put out. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. that. It definitely I, makes I'm a difference. I'm excited because after, what, um, five or six children's books? Uh, four children's books. Four children's books. The fifth now one you... came out after this. So now you've written a, a YA novel, which is really yeah. super fun. And uh, grown-ups, don't be shied away by the tag YA. It's not only for young adults. As a grown-up, um, old enough but not yet a grandparent, I can absolutely tell you that this is a wonderful read. Um, Jordan, would you please read the Back Matter synopsis to give everybody an idea of the story? Yes, and it actually has a back synopsis. That's awesome. <clears throat> Prepare for the sweet release of death. Where a lightning bolt strikes 17-year-old Veranda's home during a severe thunderstorm, she's awakened, dazed, to find a strange blood-covered man sitting calmly on her bed. 
This man claims to be Cillian Belor, the night here. The same character Veranda herself had created in her novel. Cillian believes Veranda to be the goddess of fate from his homeworld of Lingard. However, Veranda claims there is no goddess of fate in Lingard. She should know. She did create it after all. When other characters from her book begin to appear in her world, Veranda fears what would happen if the likes of Finn Razorclaw, a deadly werewolf and the arch rival of Cillian, or the feared witches of the Black Cat Clan arrived as well. With the help of her best friend, B, and a protection mo gnome named Mo, Veranda and Cillian must discover the secrets to Cillian's existence and prevent catastrophic damage by powerful supernatural beings. Fantastic. This is a great story. I'm so excited to have you read for us. When you are ready, Jordan, will you please read your story aloud? Yes. Um, I'm also going to show off the awesome chapter headers when I get Very to chapters. Cool. For those of you yes. watching us on YouTube, check out the chapter headers. Yes. For those of us, for those of you listening on Spotify and Anchor, um, after you're done listening, go look at the chapter headers over on YouTube. They um, they're all pencil drawn. Very snazzy. Which is super cool. All right, so I'm gonna actually start um, chapter one right into it. Um, bear with me a moderate amount. Uh, it's the first time I've ever read this out loud. Uh, I am mostly so because, honored. Well, I, you know, and I, I thought about doing like a test read. I'm like, no, nah, I want it to be as, as natural as possible. So just like the first time I ever read my children's books out loud, out loud is two kids um, to get that natural feel to it. Excellent. So. <clears throat> Veranda, hold on. A girl's voice echoed down from the darkness at the top of the cave. The voice was hindered and weakened by the heavy rain that poured into the chasm. Veranda dangled at the edge of the rope, her muscles tight and tense. Climb, climb, climb. Veranda spoke to herself, her fingers tightly clenched around the damp rope. She knew her only chance of getting out of this mess was herself. B, though near as she was, was completely helpless to aid her now. They were on Kahalawe, the smallest of the eight Hawaiian islands. Not only that, but they were miles away from where B's family had made camp. Veranda, at this moment, couldn't help but regret the decision to agree to go on this trip with the bishops. B had made it sound, oh, so wonderful. Oh, Veranda, you have to come. It took me so long to convince my parents to actually let you. We've never gone to Kahalawe before. Did you know that no one even lives there? It used to be used for weapons testing or something like that. But Dad got permission from the government to go and photograph the landscape. Mr. Bishop was a photographer, world-renowned. World Veranda had even hung one of his pictures in his room the first time B came over. Really, it was the conversation earlier in the day that Veranda regretted. I, I don't know, B. Exploring the island does sound fun, but do you really think we should go off the path without your dad? Isn't he the expert? Veranda. B would always pronounce Veranda's name this way when she was getting annoyed. What's the good of coming to an uninhabited island without doing a little exploring on her own? Bee was always more outgoing than Veranda. Bold and adventurous. Bee was the more intelligent, or Veranda, sorry. Veranda was the more intelligent and reserved one. Bee was always coming up with crazy ideas and Veranda ended up being the one to have to figure out how to pull them off or how to get them out of a jam. For these reasons, Veranda not only adored and envied, but hated Bee. Granted, if it wasn't for their past experiences, Veranda wouldn't even stand a chance in her current predicament. 
be made for Anne to take gymnastics, join the track team, and briefly last summer take jujitsu lessons. Of course, B was also the reason that she had wet blood on her forehead, muddy hair, and was dangling an unknown amount of feet in an abandoned mine shaft. Only a few more feet, Veranda thought as her leather glove, her leather gloved left hand held tight to the old rope, and she and her right reached up. She continued to pull herself up, inch by inch. A flash of lightning briefly illuminated the mouth of the cave. Veranda caught sight of the support beam her lifeline was tied around. The old rotted wooden beam was bowing under her weight. But she was only about 15 feet away from the beam. She knew the beam must connect to something. Uh, another opening of the cave, another support beam, a ladder, a platform, something. Just keep climbing. You can do this. Her left hand gripped tight. Her right let go and reached up. A small crack caused her eyes to open wide. Small pieces of splintered wood fluttered into her face. She winced, shutting her eyes quickly and looking away as she slid down the rope an inch or two. Another flash of lightning and crack of thunder lit up the dark rock around her. Veranda grunted loudly and hoisted herself up quickly, exerting as much energy as she could muster. Veranda climbed feverishly until her right hand reached the wooden beam. Yes, you made it! Veranda's left hand reached the wooden beam when, snap, the wood split. And for a brief moment, Veranda was suspended in midair. She watched as the rope fell into the darkness below her, then the support beam. Finally, after what seemed like forever, she fell. Seconds later, she landed hard. The largest piece of the support beam had become wedged between the two rocks. The beam snapped a second time as Veranda's body collided with it, and she slid down a smaller hole below her. The pain in her back was quickly forgotten as the water slide-like tunnel covered her with mud and doused her with even more water. Keeping her mouth shut, Veranda held her breath, doing everything in her power to keep the water from filling her lungs. A sudden jolt as the tunnel turned caused a violent pain to shoot through her left arm. Another moment later, she was spewed from the bottom of the tunnel into a shallow pool of water. There, Veranda lay in the water, and for the first time in what seemed like hours, was at ease. The water was warm. It relaxed her, made the pain in her back float away. Though she could feel the warmth all around her, her left arm felt warmer, the epicenter of the heat coming from that point. The sharp jolt of pain she felt was gone. In fact, she couldn't feel the pain in her arm any longer. Suddenly it dawned on her. The pain in her arm wasn't just gone. She couldn't feel anything from the elbow down. Slowly, she opened her eyes. It was strangely bright. The white glow of the moon shone down on her like a spotlight. She turned her head, the water much shallower than she had originally thought, and was able to look near her wrist. Her hand was there. All right, your arm hasn't been torn off. Now, look at your elbow. Her pale blue eyes lifted more. At her wrist, she saw some blood. She expected that. At her forearm, she saw more blood. She now realized the warmth around her wasn't the water. It was the blood mixing with the water, her blood. Her eyes reached her elbow. Her already pale complexion turned ghostly white. Her arm was tore open, a huge gash right at the elbow. Not only that, but her elbow was most certainly broken. But this was obvious from the graphic way her elbow was twisted, her mind showing her images of corkscrew willow branches. The tree images vanished as quickly as they came, and Veranda turned away, vomiting into the water around her. Her head spun. It was heavy. She felt as she was about to fall asleep. Stay awake, she shouted into her own head. Slowly, she sat up, using her right arm. 
her good arm to wipe away some of the sick from her mouth. Okay, she spoke out loud, her voice echoing all around her. At that moment, she realized how quiet the pool of water she sat in was. The rain had stopped. She took a deep breath. She didn't know much about the medical field, just minor information that she had researched in the past for stories she had written. Wish we covered this instead of STDs in health class. She let out a weak chuckle. It made her feel better just for a second, but that was enough to give her back some confidence. All right. Get to your feet. You didn't travel too far. B would have surely gone for Mr. Bishop by now. She knew the only thing keeping her going was pure adrenaline. Her heart was on fire, beating a thousand miles an hour. Using her good arm, she turned and stood up slowly. The pain in her back now returned. White spots, white spots fluttered into Veranda's eyes, and strange sounds came to her ears. She heard splashing in the shallow water behind her, like footsteps, then a strange sound. Someone was talking, but in a voice she never heard before. Then a crack, just before the darkness. Veranda's eyes slowly flicked open. Her view obstructed on the right, a bandage adorned her head, covering her left eye completely. Try as she might, she couldn't convince her eyes to focus. It was like looking through glasses that didn't belong to her. She felt warm again, not like the last time. This warmth was from fire. The blurs in front of her flickered on the left side. Veranda set up cautiously. The back of her head pounded violently. The cot she was resting on, to her, was the most comfortable thing in the world right now. Her head shifted left as she looked down at her arm. Her wounded arm was heavily bandaged, and it was encased in a very basic wooden cast. Dad, I'm going to go check on... B stopped dead in her tracks. The tray she held fell to the ground, a bowl of jello and a glass of orange juice shattering into a thousand pieces. Veranda! B flew forward, wrapping her arms around her friend's necks tightly. Veranda screamed, and with the one arm, good arm, pushed B away. Damn it, B! Be a little gentle, please! The pain faded back as B turned a deep shade of red. She turned to the curtain and stuck her head out. Dad, Dad, she's awake! Brenda could hear Mr. Bishop just out of the line of sight. Great, don't touch her. We have no idea what the extent of her injuries are. B turned an even deeper shade of red. There's a brief silence before Veranda started to laugh softly. Another moment, and B joined in on the laughter. B hardly left Veranda's side for the rest of the day. She was lucky that she and B shared the same blood type. They were waiting for a helicopter to come in from the mainland to get her to the hospital. In the meantime, Mr. Bishop had rigged a crude IV stand. Veranda was a bit uneasy at this when he first proposed the idea, only through the words of encouragement from B and a few old photos proving Mr. Bishop's medical military background. However, the instant the new blood was put into her body, color started to return to her face. Her headache began to fade, and her lethargy was resolved. B? Veranda broke the silence that had fallen over them. How long was I gone for? B remained silent for a minute. A long time. I didn't think we were going to find you. It was impossible to rappel down where you fell. With Dad's spotlight, we could see how deep it was, but the rain made the walls way too slippery. When he noticed the broken support beam in the hole you fell into, he guessed it may have been a drain when the mine was optional. That's what it was then? A drain? Yeah, but you weren't at the bottom when we got there. Veranda froze. Suddenly, she remembered the splashing water and the strange voice she heard. Her stomach felt sick, and the color must have left her face once more. Veranda, are you okay? B put a hand to her forehead. 
You're burning up. She stood up swiftly, her chair knocking over with a loud, a large bang. Dad, come quick. Veranda laid back on the cot, her eyes rolling into the back of her head. Her mind began to race. What happened? Who was there with me? Why can't I remember? Her mind went black. Well, not completely black. No. There was a green light floating in front of her. She wanted to touch it, being drawn to it like a shrimp to an anglerfish. The light grew brighter and brighter, and when the darkness left her, everything came clear. Veranda was in a small cave, propped up against a hard, damp wall, the pain in her arm, back, and head causing her to nearly black out. A small fire flickered in front of her. Looking down at the arm, she was appalled to see that the cut had been open again. How did I get here? What happened to B? Veranda's thoughts were broken by a crack of thunder. A loud jolt snapped her mind out of its daze. This, this, isn't a, this is a dream. No, a memory. My memory coming back to me from the night before. Another sound pulled Veranda out of, the, out of her thoughts this time. Not the big bang made by a bolt of lightning, but a soft pit-putt, pit-putt, footsteps. Someone was in the cave with her. A cloaked figure came into view from the bend in the cave. You are awake. The voice was horrifying. It shook Veranda's very core. Her bones ached as the words surrounded her. The voice was unidentifiable as male or female. It was hard and raspy, yet delicate, intense and inviting. No voice Veranda had ever heard had carried the weight that this one did. I was sleeping soundly until you flopped into my home. The angrier the voice got, the more painful it was to listen to. I'm sorry, I had no desire to fall into the mine, you know. The cloaked figure was in front of her. Veranda wasn't sure when the person had started to approach, but it was only a foot away now. The miners who last came here said the very same thing. Veranda winced as the cold, bony, and death-like hand grabbed her face. The hood of the cloaked figure fell backwards slightly, revealing the horrible head behind it. Ghastly white, bulging, ghastly white with bulging white pupilless eyes and completely hairless. Veranda's eyes fixed on the eyes of the monster before her. She wanted nothing more than to look away, but that was impossible. The young, long yellow fingernails were sharp against her chin and cheek. You, your eyes. The creature's breath was warm and putrid upon her face. The voice was different this time, though. It wasn't painful, it was fearful. It was as if the voice of the being was mirroring Veranda's emotions now. The hand held from her face. Just as fast as the cloak figure approached her, it cowered away. You should not be here. The figure screamed wildly, its hood falling back, completely revealing the rest of its head and neck. Veranda instantly thought of a skeleton with just a fine layer of skin. The figure dropped to its knees, pointing the skeletal fingers back at her. You have come to destroy me, to take my soul. The words echoed through the small cave. Then silence fell. Veranda continued to stare. To Veranda, the next few seconds seemed like a lifetime. She was wordless, thoughtless, and unable to do anything but stare in horror. Then a small laugh erupted from the ghoulish face. Why do you not do it? The empty, milky eyes turned upon her again. Well? The cloak arms opened wide as if asking for a hug. 
Why do you not do it? Another echo followed by silence. The skeletal face became expressionless for a moment, then realization dawned. You cannot do it. That is it, is it not? The figure stood once more and slowly approached. Yes, that is it, but why? What's wrong with you? The bony fingers found Veranda's cheek again. The face got closer than before, their noses touching. Veranda winced in pain, the sharp nose almost cutting her own. Oh, yes, of course. The hot breath filled Veranda's nose again. It becomes clear. You, you are not here yet. The face pulled back and its left index finger was planted firmly against her forehead. None, not, not where? Veranda stammered out. She regretted the words instantly. The fingernail struck just right, just under her right eye. The skin broke and she felt blood flow. Your mind is weaker, but your soul is the weakest yet. I could kill you. Kill you now and end this before it even begins. The face turned a smile. Only a few rotten and sharp teeth remained in the mouth. In fact, I will do just that. Another few steps back, and a large black-tipped dagger was birthed from inside the cloak. Miranda tried to move, tried to escape, to do something, but she was unable. Her ankles were bound, and she had lost so much blood from the fall into the mine shaft. To think you would be here now, had I known so much time wasted. I am not who you think I am. The words burst from Veranda's lips. Oh no. Do you really believe that I would not recognize that face? You are and always will be so incredibly vain. Vain? Veranda had been called many things in her life, but not once had vanity come into play. Now, you will die. The dagger was raised, the ebony tip placed against the jugular vein in her neck. Veranda winced in anticipation. Please wake up, Veranda. Bee's voice flooded her ears. Slowly, her eyes opened again. The wind around her was hard and loud. The roaring blades of a helicopter entered her ears. Veranda was no longer on the cot, but a medical gurney being loaded onto a helicopter. Bee? Her voice was almost unknown to her ears. Weak, beyond weak, lifeless. Miranda was certain she was dying. The fever she had developed, the loss of blood, the probable infection now coursing through her body. Oh, Veranda, you're going to be okay. The helicopter will get you to Maui, and once you're stable, we can go back stateside with you. Mr. Bishop's hand appeared on her shoulder. Dad? Phoebe? Honey? It's time to say goodbye. Phoebe? Goodbye? What was Mr. Bishop talking about? Miranda tried to speak, tried to call out to her friend but the words never came. She had an endless amount of questions and no way to ask them. Miranda watched as Bee's eyes filled with tears and she turned into her father's embrace. The door to the helicopter shut. She felt weightless as the small aircraft lifted in the air. A breathing mask was pressed against her. Several needles struck, stuck into her arm. And without another word, Miranda's pale eyes shut against their will once more. Yay. That's chapter Yay. one. Thank you very, very much. That's wonderful. It's so Ooh. nice to revisit that story again. It's just fantastic. My headphones died during that, apparently. <laughs> I can still hear you. <laughs> um, so, 
one question, and then we'll let you go for the evening so that everybody can rush out and buy your book and finish reading it. That would be um, nice. What was your favorite part about writing this novel? Um, I, I, it's kind of a two-folded answer because um, I have kind of two parts that tie, but I won't do full descriptions for both of them. Um, I really, really, really loved writing Verbanka. Um, I, I just really enjoyed writing her. I, I think she got more interesting as it went on and in different drafts, she got even more interesting. Um, that first chapter is actually like, I was like 80% of the way through the book. And I'm like, I hate how this starts. So I went back and I, and I came up with that first chapter and then had to like subsequently like tweak stuff throughout the entire book to make it fit. Um, but as soon as I finished that first chapter, I was like, okay, maybe this is actually going to be good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was. What a good idea. What's and the then, second part of that question? I love writing fight scenes. <laughs> I um, know that about you. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I, I, you, I was something about what you said is uh, in your review. It was like they were either too long or too descriptive, and I'm like, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I when I write my fights because I have a background in, in D&D and running Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. So I actually, I lay out a grid and it's a dry erase grid and I draw three uh, like camera POVs. Right. Um, and I use miniatures and I like will draw like if there's like a tree or a building or, or a car or whatever. Um, and as I write it, I reposition the figures and I determine which POV camera I'm using. That's um, fantastic. Uh, uh, so that's why my fights read so visually. Yeah, yeah, because you created them visually. That's yeah. awesome. I, I I hate when I'm reading something, especially fantasy, um, that's sword and shield heavy or magic heavy combat, and you get lost. You like you don't know where they are anymore in relation to where they just were two punches that's ago. That's not a problem with your writing style. You you handle that the was my goal very well. <laughs> I'm so pleased you could read for us tonight, Jordan. If anyone out there is interested in learning more about Jordan Scavone and Night Warrior, in addition to all his children's books, check out the show notes. There'll be links there on how you can find the books and how you can find Jordan's website. Jordan, thank you so much for coming in and reading for us tonight. Yeah, I, it's a special me. It's a special thing to have authors read their own work, so I'm really pleased that you're willing to do that for us. I really enjoyed actually reading it out loud. Um, gosh, but it just made me realize how much better my audiobook narrator is. <laughs> she, she crushed this book. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to it on audiobook. I've read it, and it, it was fabulous, and I, I'm looking forward to the audiobook version. Thank you so much, Jordan. I appreciate you coming out. Thank you. Glad to lock myself in this box for an hour. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice night. You too. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.